You're listening to the Boogeyman's Closet Podcast. Explicit language and spoilers ahead. You've been warned. And we are back for yet another episode of the Boogeyman's Closet. As always, I am Mike Alvarez. Maurice Kilfer. Susie Hunt. And we are continuing our month of Black-directed horror with episode 170, Get Out, from 2017. It's an hour and 44 minutes and directed by Jordan Peele. Um, this is actually his first directorial debut, and he has followed it up with both Us and Nope, also two really good films. Um, nope, haven't seen it. Oh, yeah, you got to see Nope still. That's ah, oh, it's good. Yeah. It, I mean, I think for for me, it was the weakest of the bunch. I I think I like us the most, um, but Nope is still enjoyable. I there was a part of it. I don't want to ruin it for you, but there's a part of it that I didn't like upon seeing until I talked to Maurice about it. And he explained why this thing looked the way it did, and then it made sense. And I was like, oh, okay. So had I known going in, I I think I would have liked the certain visual representation more. Ooh, everything all right? Something sounded like it crashed. <laughs> Valkyrie was literally like, fuck this bottle of water. <laughs> <laughs> oh, kitty cats. They'll get yeah. you every time. I had three meetings today, and uh, the second one was a tough one, just because family. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the one that she, like, insisted on, like, crawling all over me and perching on my shoulder. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> whatever. It is what it is. Yeah, it's not yeah. like she's going to go and post your HIPAA-protected information on the Internet. Right. Oh. <laughs> well, let's go around the table and see what everyone thinks about this, uh, this fine flick. Maurice, we'll start with you this week. What are your thoughts on Get Out? I enjoy this movie. I, I like it a lot. Um, I forgot how tense this movie is though mm-hmm. like, I, I, I don't know I just felt like icky all movie the whole time watching it yep like just the stuff that was going on and and trying to figure out what was going on but over yeah like I said I enjoy this movie I saw it in the theater when it came out um, for once I can say that <laughs> right <laughs> it's usually you or Don or Mike were like yeah we saw this in the theater back when I was a kid <laughs> well this was 2017 so you know <laughs> oh i know um but the acting is very good oh yeah um it's a very good mo- movie for his um first uh first showing so right uh everything looked good about it. you know it looked great the acting was great um you know i hated i hated the parents from the start they just oh. look <laughs> evil yep um, but when you find out everything that's going on, it's like you, you feel sick to your stomach after a while. Mm-hmm. But which makes for a great horror flick. Oh, yeah. No, this is one of those movies that when you put yourself in the character's shoes, it's terrifying. You know, the, the, the idea of someone taking away, like t- literally taking your body. It's like, yeah. Jesus Christ, that's terrifying. <laughs> but I, I also, after watching this uh, critically, have a thought and maybe people thought about this i don't know mm-hmm. but 
Is she hypnotized? Who, Rose? Yeah. I mean... I've read I've read theories saying that she fan theories saying that she was hypnotized. Cause the... some parts I feel like she like is really into this guy. But then, yeah. you know, the whole big reveal. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. There's parts throughout it that make me wonder. Like um, when Rod calls her towards the end and she just has this look on her face, like a look of confusion, kind of. She's almost robotic. And yeah, and toward the end. Yeah. Yeah. I so mean, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if she gets hypnotized by her parents to meet these men mm-hmm. so they could, you know, kill them and well, make or money. brainwash them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, or that keep, would... not, you know, you know, keep people alive. <laughs> right. We'll find that out towards the end. But it, no, that makes that does make a lot of sense. Like there, because the, once the reveal happens, like her entire demeanor shifts. Now you could take that one of two ways. You could take it as that she's just fucking evil and enjoys what they're doing, and that's kind of my takeaway from it. Is it was just like, oh, she's just an evil motherfucker. Like, um, yeah. Because uh, I mean, the whole I, family is part of like a secret society, so. Right. And I kind of want to rewatch it again because she's. She's frantically looking for those keys. And then all of a sudden, I don't notice, but her maybe her mom does something mm-hmm. to cue her, you know, hypnotism. Seen, you know, that would that that would be interesting to check, because for me, it was it was that she was play acting. You know, she she knew that, like, OK, we can't leave. And she was kind of waiting for the the other pieces to to fall into position like. You know, Jeremy had to take his his position and, you know, Missy and dad, they all had to take their positions. And then right. it was like and then she was like, you know, I can't give you the keys, babe, like that whole thing. And it's like, oh, right. shit, <laughs> you know, but, but I'm wondering, I got well, I can't watch it now because I rented it, but I got I got to get my hands on it and buy it and see if something if there's a noise or if there's something that her mom does right before that. Yeah, no, I, I can't, I'll, you don't have to go back and check because I, I mean, I do I do have it on DVD. So that that's actually how I was. uh how I was watching it this time around. Um, I actually think I owned it digitally too. Cause I, I feel like this is one of those movies that it was like on sale for two 99. And I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to buy it digitally. <laughs> so, Cause I do that every once in a while when Amazon is like, here's a digital movie for like two or three bucks. I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I like that movie. I'm going to add it to my collection. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree with you. This movie is, is really fucking good. But uh, Susie, let's toss it over to you. What are your thoughts on this? I really, really like this movie. I I think my favorite character is Rod. Yeah, mine too. T.S. motherfucking A. <laughs> I, I think the cast is really great. See, I don't... I like the theory. The acting is great. The cast is great. I love Bradley um, Whitford and Catherine Kinnear. And I agree. They, like the parents, there were just something about them right off right off the bat. Um, Her brother, Jeremy just looks like he was at a rager for five days with post Malone and just didn't bother (laughs) to shower or anything. Like he just looks sticky the whole time. Um, Something that I, something that, cause you know, I watch a lot of those, like what's horror stuff on YouTube, something interesting that I didn't, pick up until after I watched countdown with this movie mentioned and watched it critically is I don't necessarily, I don't think I subscribe sub I'm sorry, I'm having troubles today. I don't think I necessarily subscribe 
to her being hypnotized because she tries to not have a paper trail. So think about when they get pulled over. They run her driver's license. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he only has, you know, like state ID, whatever, but they're still going to run that. Oh. So that's going to be in the system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good catch. I didn't think about that. And then, I mean, she was very robotic at the end, but I think that she was just. Because think of also like the box, her memoirs, her yes. memory box that he finds. She's had so many opportunities to perfect her craft, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Oh, did we lose you? Uh-oh. I think we lost Susie. Technical difficulties. So. so I think you were, we were talking, you were talking about uh, how Rose didn't leave a paper trail and her box of memoirs. And then it was like, yes. <laughs> so she had that box of memories. So she's had so many opportunities to like fine tune her craft. Right. That maybe yeah. the way that she played that card in that scene is how like she could get into character. Yeah. And she's so conniving because the minute he started recording the phone call, that's when she kind of flipped it on him and was like, oh, well, you've always, you've been dreaming about fucking me. And she, yeah, I think, I think she's know, just pure evil. Yeah. I was gonna say, I think it might just be crazy. Bitch is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I was just throwing it out there to see what other, you know, what you guys thought. No, you know, I've that... heard that theory before myself. So that, I mean, it, it definitely is an interesting theory. And see, that's the thing. I like movies like this where they can make you question what exactly was meant by certain situations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I agree with both of you. I really enjoyed this film. Um, I, I'll talk about it throughout the film, but I was convinced that it wasn't ending the way it ended. <laughs> like I was, I was waiting for. Like I, I thought there was going to be some kind of twist. So I, we'll get to that. But it, it's, I really enjoyed how this played out. Um, it's very much like you can tell that Jordan Peele was very influenced by stuff like the Stepford Wives, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It has a lot of that sci-fi horror to it, um, sci-fi body horror in particular. And yeah. I really appreciate that, like, because you don't see a lot of those types of movies anymore. And Us is another one that does a lot of that, where there's the sci-fi body horror. And um, it's definitely his his uh, his cup of tea, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I, I'm glad to see that he's kind of bringing it back to uh, to the mainstream, because we haven't really seen a lot of that since the 70s. So it, it's cool to have it back. But I I absolutely adore this. And one thing um, I don't want, you know what? I'll save it till the end because there, there's there is something in particular that I like about Jordan Peele movies that uh, that he does that I don't see a lot of other directors doing. Um, but I'll, I'll comment on that at the end of the movie. So don't, don't let me forget. And um, when we get to the end of the movie, also remind me because I want to I want to piggyback on the it didn't end the way you thought it was going to. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I have I have two separate points where I'm like, oh, this is going to happen. And then when it didn't, I was like, oh, shit. Oh, no, this is going to happen. <laughs> See, I thought and I'm, I'm I'm happy to I can't wait till we get to the very end of the movie, because I I mean, obviously, I've seen the movie before, so I knew how it ended. But the first time it, I saw it, I mm-hmm. thought that the way it ended was the twist. Ah, uh, OK. But we'll uh, get to that. We'll discuss that when we get to it. Nice. Well, let's let's jump right into the cast. We have uh, there's a huge cast, but I only wrote down the main players. 
Uh, so we have Chris Washington played by, I, I'm probably going to say his last name wrong, but Daniel Kaluuya, I think is how you pronounce that. Um, he was in Doctor Who, Black Mirror, Kick-Ass 2, Black Panther, uh, Queen and Slim, and Nope. And we have Rose Armitage, played by Allison Williams. She was in The Mindy Project, Girls, A Series of yeah. Unfortunate Events, and Megan. I fucking hate girls. <laughs> yeah. I've, I, I know I've ranted about that show before. I've actually heard a few people be like, oh, fuck that show. <laughs> Megan was pretty good, though. That one I really want to see. I, I haven't seen it yet. I know it's on Neither Amazon, I. so I'll probably just rent it. But uh, then we have Dean Armitage, played by Bradley Whitford, who we've seen before in Cabin in the Woods. Probably my favorite character in that movie. Mm -hmm. uh, he was in Tales from the Dark Side, Young Guns 2, Robocop 3, The X-Files, Billy Madison, and Godzilla, King of Monsters. Uh, then we have Missy Armitage, played by Catherine Kinnear. She was in Seinfeld, 8mm, being John Malkovich, Death to Smoochie, one of my favorite Robin Williams movies, um, and The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Then we have uh, Jeremy Armitage, played by Caleb Landry-Jones. He was in No Country for Old Men, Breaking Bad, X-Men First Class, Twin Peaks, and most recently, The Dead Don't Die, which I wouldn't love to Who did he play in X-Men? He played uh, Banshee. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I've seen him before. Yep. And then uh, we have uh, Walter, played by Marcus Henderson. He was in Django Unchained, Insidious, The Last Key, and Tacoma FD. Uh, Georgina, played by uh, Betty Gabriel. She was in The Purge Election Year, Unfriended the Dark Web, The Twilight Zone, and Jack Ryan. I really, really liked her performance in this movie. She, whoo, there's a scene in this movie that she unsettles the fuck out of me. <laughs> I know, ex I think I know exactly what scene you're talking Ooh. about, and I agree. It's, she's good. <laughs> but then we have uh, Rod Williams, played by Lil Rel Howery. He was in Uncle Drew, Tag, Bird Box, Rel, Good Boys, Craig of the Creek, which is a fucking awesome cartoon, uh, Free Guy, and Space Jam, A New Legacy. I put that on there for Josh. Hate <laughs> 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 <Ape> Space Jam. <laughs> um, but for anyone who hasn't seen this, the basic plot of the movie is a young African-American man visits his white girlfriend's parents for the weekend, where his simmering uneasiness about their reception of him eventually reaches a boiling po point as a dark mystery unfolds. So the whole movie is like you're constantly questioning what's going to happen next, what's going to happen next. And when you finally see what's going on, it's fucking disturbing. Um, but we open with a black guy walking alone at night and lost in a suburb. He's on the phone with his girlfriend complaining about the confusing layout of the area and saying that he feels like he sticks out like a sore thumb. He gets off the phone and continues walking. A car passes him slowly, then turns around and pulls up alongside of him while playing Run, Rabbit, Run by Flanagan and Allen. That's just a creepy song to begin with. Yep. And to, to have someone pull up alongside of you in the middle of the night playing that, fuck all of that. <laughs> but he, he tries to convince himself to ignore the car, but gets nervous and turns around to go the other way and starts muttering, not today, they ain't going to get me like this. He turns around and sees the car is parked and the door is open. Before he can react, a guy in a fucking knight's helmet grabs him and puts him in a chokehold until he's unconscious. He then drags the man back to his car and throws him in his trunk. We get the opening credits and the title card while driving through the countryside. I was like, that is a fucking terrifying way to open a movie. Yep. <laughs> like, just, mm -hmm. you know, walking alone at night and just sudden abduction. Like, nope. Because I think everyone can relate to that feeling of being kind of like out at night and being alone and wondering, what if? What if somebody attacked me? What if something came out of that dark alleyway? You know, like there's just that. I think it's human nature to like worry about your surroundings. Mm -hmm. And that's why I don't like to leave the house ever. Same. 
Except I have creepy woods in behind in I have creepy woods behind my house. Yeah, you live in Jason country. I do. <laughs> Victor Crowley land because it gets swampy back there in the spring. Right. And yeah, you just all of Kane Hodder's personas live back there. Yeah. Oh, he's my neighbor. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> but we smashed- I I, oh. I live in Leprechaun in the Hoods movie. Yeah, you do. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> oh man at least you live in more of a comedic area then true <laughs> but we smash cut to our main character's apartment uh this is chris uh the walls are covered with really cool black and white photos of people around the city like seriously those photos are awesome mm-hmm. but uh chris's girlfriend rose uh which you know she's the, the white girl we mentioned at the start um which that will be important in a moment uh, she shows up with coffee and donuts, and we cut to them. Uh, Chris packing a bag while she runs down a checklist of things he needs to remember to pack. I really, after watching that opening, like that, her looking at the donuts at the bakery, I was like, oh, I could really go for one of those donuts that Mike brought to the party. I know, right? Those were good donuts. Oh, they were so good. <laughs> um, but Rose notices something is wrong and asks Chris what he's worried about. We find out here that they're going to visit her parents, and he wants to know if they know he's black. She writes this off and tells him that it doesn't matter. He reminds her that he's the first black guy she's ever dated and that this is uncharted territory for them. She counters with <laughs> that her dad would have voted for Obama a third time if he could have. And then she says, I'm only telling you that because he will want to talk to you about that. That's not be- er, that, And that's not because you're black. That's because he's a lame dad. Actually, <laughs> when... When she says that, I think mm-hmm. that's akin to saying, I'm not, my dad's not racist. I'm not racist because I have black friends. Exactly. Oh, yeah. No, there's so much of that subtle racism throughout this oh, movie. Like it's that it's party? everywhere. Oh, oh, the party is uncomfortable as fuck. Just wait till we, wait, wait till we get to all those fucking bitches. And, you know, oh. one thing I will say, uh, this was in the trivia. I didn't write it down, but... Uh, Jordan Peele and uh, Daniel were both saying that that the reason that that party plays out the way it does is because they they both have experienced this. They said a lot of black people have experienced this where you're at a party where everyone seemingly has good intentions, but are saying things that are very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And and like that, I thought was very poignant because it's like, OK, I've never experienced what they've experienced, obviously. But it's interesting to hear that that's why that was in the movie, because this is something that they've had to navigate again and again and again. That's so. another thing I like about Jordan Peele films is that he addresses like he has social commentary in them. Mm-hmm. But it's not like it's not like shoved down your throat. It's subtle, no, it's, mm-hmm. which makes it even more effective and unnerving. It's it's not only is it subtle, but it's believable. You know, yeah. it, it's it's stuff that. It doesn't feel heavy handed at all. It's just kind of there. And it's like, wow, that's that's creepy. Funny side note. <laughs> the first time I saw this movie, I thought Logan was being played by Dave Chappelle because I just thought he had like a Dave Chappelle-esque kind of like demeanor to him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I can't I, I can't picture Chappelle in this movie. <laughs> that's why I was I was very confused the first time I saw it. And then I. I consulted the bones and was like, okay. <laughs> but she goes on to assure him that her parents will love him and that he has nothing to worry about. So we cut to them driving along on the old country road that we saw during the credits. 
Chris pulls out a cigarette. Rose grabs it from him and throws it out the window. This will be important later that he's a smoker. He tells her that he has to call his friend Rod, my favorite character in the flick. <laughs> we find out that Rod is an airport security guard and has this whole rant about patting down an old woman and how that the next 9-11 is going to be some geriatric shit. I fucking lost <laughs> it. Because he's going on about how his co-workers got mad at him for patting down an old woman. He's like, just because she's old, she can't hijack a plane. <laughs> I The other thing I love about like, him is a little later when he's like, yo, white people be hypnotizing black people and tearing them into sex slaves. They love doing oh, that shit. The sex slave conversation is fucking hilarious. But yeah, so they're they're talking. Basically, Rod's going to be watching uh, Chris's dog while he's out of town. So he thanks Rod for watching the dog all weekend. Rod tells him that he should have taken his advice about never going to a white girl's parents' house. And he goes, <laughs> I love it. He goes, what's she go? What's she doing? She licking your balls or something? And Chris just hangs up on me. He goes, that mm. motherfucker hung up on me. <laughs> <laughs> like he's, he's the much needed comic relief in this film. Yeah. And so Rose is teasing Chris about Rod when suddenly a deer <laughs> jumps in the road and they hit it and send it flying. Now, two things. Number one, that deer was flying. Like, <laughs> Like, it was really high up. Like, and number two, there was nowhere near enough damage done to that car. Because anyone that has ever hit a deer knows that them fuckers destroy your vehicle. She yeah. made it out to be like it was a terrible thing. It was just her headlight was out and there was a little blood smear across the front. I'm yep. like, no. <laughs> I knocked the side view mirror loose, too. It was just dangling there like the balls she was apparently licking on the phone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But they hear uh, the deer crying out in the woods. And Chris goes to investigate. He sees the poor thing just off the road, belly split and dying. There's a moment where he locks eyes with it. Smash cut to the cops talking to Rose and Chris on the side of the road. The cop asks for Chris's ID and Rose gets pissed. She tells him that there's no need for that as Chris wasn't driving. Chris waves this off and, go and he goes to comply with the officer. But Rose doubles down, calling the cop out on his bullshit. Eventually, the cop lets them go and tells them to get the headlight and mirror fixed and leaves. Chris and Rose continue their way to their parents or to her parents' house, and Chris tells her that that was hot the way she stuck up for him. She tells him that no one's going to fuck with her man. What were you going to say, Ugh. Susie? That's, I was actually going to say her line. Nobody fucks with my man. <laughs> right. <laughs> but they arrive at mom and dad's house, uh, and we pass the groundskeeper, Walter. And they're greeted at the door by mom and dad. Now, the way this scene plays out is really interesting. It's viewed from a distance. So we're almost seeing it from Walter's point of view, but like we're not at Walter yet. We're across the street. Uh, we see the parents like, you know, lovingly hugging Rose and welcoming Chris into their home. They're very inviting and loving, but this is juxtaposed with extremely eerie music and the distant view, which will be mirrored later when we see the sunken place. It's like, it's just the, the, the shot was just really cool. Yeah. Um, and then right before we cut away, we see the groundskeeper watching them from across the street. But we get we get the very lame parent intro where dad pretty much has diarrhea of the mouth and rambles on about how much he hates deer and that they did a good thing by killing one. Um, then asks how long they've been dating, blah, blah, blah. Nor basically the normal parent. I like cheese dialogue. <laughs> but the whole time there's this awkwardness leaning towards the sinister. It's subtle, but it's there. So dad wants to give Chris a tour of the house and takes him around room by room. And we get a we get a few bits of info here. We find out that mom is a psychiatrist. That dad likes to travel and has a tendency of picking up souvenirs from different cultures. Uh, Rose's brother is also studying medicine and following in his father's footsteps. 
And Grandpa's claim to fame was to was being beat out in the qualifying round for the Berlin Olympics in 1936 by Jesse Owens in front of Hitler. So he was the black guy that kind of like proved that Hitler's whole Aryan race bullshit was bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dad goes on, you know, talking about how wonderful it was that this this black guy showed up Hitler the way he did. And Chris goes, "Tough break for your dad." And Dad says, "Yeah, he almost got over it." I was like. Oh, yeah, that's not telling at all. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of, again, watching it critically, Mm -hmm. again, it's that subtle racism, like the conversation that he has about the deer, Mm -hmm. maybe maybe hinting that he thinks there's too many African-American people. Oh, yeah, we can get into that now because there's a whole thing. There's the, the deer on the wall in the study downstairs. Now, that'll play a huge role later. Yeah. But the idea of a buck, this, there's tons of racial connotations with this. Not only did a lot of uh, Klansmen refer to black, young black men, particularly as bucks, because um, it was not only dehumanizing, but they refer, they saw them as animals. But it's also part of the whole sexual fetishization of black men, where they're seeing them as a, you know, like a, a stag or a buck or like basically they're there for breeding. And it's it's really fucking creepy and all rooted in racism. So, like, the whole deer conversation was definitely there as a nod to all of that. And again, having the buck head play an important role later on in the movie was definitely there because of the whole racist connotations of the word. So, and did the fact that Jesse Owens beat Grandpa right. plant the idea in Grandpa's head? Do I'm you know what sure. I mean? I'm sure it did. 100%. Because, <laughs> yeah, there, there's even the question later of why us? So... There, there's a lot of stuff like that, that, that throughout this movie. This is one of those movies, honestly, all of Jordan Peele's movies so far are movies that you need to watch at least twice. Mm-hmm. You know, because the first time through, you're not going to pick up on all of the groundwork they lay down. And I, I love that about a movie. Like, we, we talked about that with His House. Uh, we talked about that with Puka, where a movie will, you know, when you watch it the first time through, you don't see all the subtle groundwork that they lay. And then when you watch it the second time, you're like, holy shit, they were telling you the whole time, you know, <laughs> so it's it's really cool. But, um, yeah, then he passes by the basement and tells him, oh, we had to seal the basement off for black mold. In other words, stay out of the basement, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something's going on down there. Uh, we meet the housekeeper, Georgina, in the kitchen and dad makes a comment. My mom loved her kitchen so much that we had to keep a piece of her here. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah which once oh. you know what's going on it's like oh ah. <laughs> but they head out to the backyard and dad tells them that the nearest house is across the lake total privacy you know so they're nice and isolated uh we also see the groundskeeper walter and dad tells chris how he's like i know how it looks white family with black servants it's not a good look but he explains that they hired walter and georgina to take care of his parents when they got sick and after dun, dun, they passed dun. <laughs> right. He's like, and after they passed, I just couldn't bear to let him go. So we hired him on as, as help for the house. He finishes by telling Chris that, you know, I would have voted for Obama a third time if I could. And he goes, best president of my lifetime. And Chris agrees. So now we cut to the group having drinks on the deck. We find out that Chris's dad wasn't around much as a kid, but his mom died in a hit and run when he was just 11. Dad notices Chris getting a little fidgety and asks if he's a smoker. Chris tells him he's trying to quit, and Dad comments that it's a nasty habit and that he should have his wife take care of that for him, explaining that she's developed a method 
using hypnosis that works like a charm. He explains that he was a smoker for 15 years. She put him under once, and now he can't stand the sight of a cigarette. It makes him want to vomit. Chris insists that he's fine, and Rose comments how some people don't want you don't want others messing around inside their heads. We find out that there's going to be a big party that weekend. Rose seems a little shocked by this, and her parents remind her it's the same day every year. Basically, her grandfather used to throw a yearly party with all of his friends, and after he passed away, they kept up the tradition. See, that's that's what this is one of the parts where I'm like, it makes you wonder, like, why mm-hmm. would you put on an act about the date? What's like, that? The, why would you keep up with the story by acting so oh, confused about a date? I, to- I can explain that away totally because basically she she wants Chris to think like, oh, this was an accident. Because keep in mind what what happens at that party. So yeah. they're they're kind of showing off the product, if uh, uh, you know, if it were. Uh, so. She has to pretend like, oh, shit, I didn't know it was going to be that. I wouldn't have brought you here this weekend if I knew this was going to be going on. Like, she has to seem like she doesn't want to deal with it either. And, like, it's this big chore where, in reality, the whole reason for the party is because Chris is there. Because, you know, yeah. they're, they're going to have people bid. Which It's is, like Thanksgiving. Yeah. Oh, it's a just, meat it's, raffle, if you will. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it, it's it's a, it's a slave auction. It's this. I mean, it, it's mirroring the old slave auctions, and it's just fucking horrifying. Um, but yeah. So while this conversation is going on, Georgina is pouring drinks for everyone. She blanks for a moment while pouring Chris's drink and ends up spilling it all over. She apologizes profusely, and Mom tells her it's okay that she should go down, go lie down, and get some rest. Uh, just then, Rose's brother Jeremy shows up and smash cut to the family having dinner later that night. Jeremy is telling uh, stories about him and Rose as kids, how they used to have, how she used to have a toenail collection, which is fucking disgusting. <laughs> um, and she used to suck on them. I was like, oh, come on. So that is as gross to me as you know the story of the cum pit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm not oh. telling it on the air, not even for the Patreons. <laughs> <laughs> fucking disgusting. But they then tell he then tells a party or Ben tells a story of a party that his parents never knew about where Rose nearly bit a guy's tongue off while they were kissing. She says, he surprised me, he slipped his tongue in my mouth and I just reacted. I was like, oh, that's horrifying. <laughs> I don't I don't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and because and dad looks at Chris and goes, be careful. And he's like, yeah, I was like, oh, that's gross. But. Mom says she's going to go get dessert, and there's this creepy moment where when she goes into the kitchen, we just see Georgina standing there holding the cake, smiling at the door. I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> so Chris sees this for a brief second, just long enough for it to stand out as odd. So Dad tries to talk to Chris about sports, but Jeremy butts in and turns the conversation to MMA. Chris tries to tell him that it's too brutal for him and he doesn't follow it. Jeremy comments that that's a shame because with his size and genetic makeup... If he really trained hard, he would be a beast. I'm like, oh, God, everything about this is gross. Yep. So mom, including comes the fact that Jeremy looks like the point one percent of germs that Lysol doesn't kill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he definitely looks sticky in the scene. But mom comes back with dessert and Jeremy continues the conversation on fighting. He brings up jujitsu and says it's all mental. It's like a chess game. You got to stay a few steps ahead of your opponent at all times. He then gets up and tries to get Chris to fight with him. Chris tells him he has a rule. No play, no play fighting with drunk dudes. The family gets Jeremy to stop. And, and then he comments, I wasn't going to hurt him. And he grabs a bottle of booze and slinks off. 
Cut, cut to Chris and Rose in their room at night. Rose is getting ready for bed and is extremely embarrassed by how her family acted and is going off about it. Talking about how lame her dad was, how her mom yelled at Georgina, you know, how Jeremy was trying to fight with him, just going off about it. Chris is just calmly sitting there and eventually she asks if he has anything to say. And he just goes, I told you so. <laughs> she's like, I don't like being wrong. So she apologizes for everything and he tells her it's fine. You know, they kiss and then uh, remember that the party is happening the next day. And she goes, oh, God, they're all so white, like so white. <laughs> and he goes, everything will be fine. So we cut to them laying in bed like a few hours have passed. Chris is lying in bed thinking about the deer on the side of the road, crying out as flies buzz all around it. Suddenly a fly lands on him and he slaps it. Now, this I never picked up on before. But tell me what you guys think about this. So the concept of the deer unable to move on the side of the road as the group of flies excitedly buzz around him. Yeah, like, it's the same thing. It's fucking, yeah, the whole thing is symbolism for what's going to happen. And I was like, mm -hmm. I never noticed that before. Like, it's throughout this entire film. Like, mm -hmm. the symbolism and subtleties are all throughout it. But, so Chris gets up to go have a smoke and a few things happen. Uh, we get a Georgina jump scare, which, you know, I know it's coming every time. And the fucking music cue gets me every damn time. Probably because I was watching it with my headphones on. But, like, <laughs> he's he walks through the house. And then we just see Georgina, like, slink past him in the background. And there's this, like, da-dun music sound. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I fucking jumped really hard. I was like, damn it, I knew that was coming, too. <laughs> but he sneaks through the house and goes outside, like, trying not to wake anyone up. Um... Once outside, he goes to light his smoke, and we see Walter running straight at him, full tilt, from across the yard. He stops and begins to back up. As Walter gets closer, finally, Walter turns at the last minute and runs in the other direction. Chris turns around and sees Georgina standing in the kitchen, uh, by the kitchen door, the glass door, and is looking out at him, or what he thinks, you know, she's looking out at him. We see, from her point of view, she's looking at her reflection in the glass and is fixing her hair. She then stops and suddenly scurries away. Chris goes back inside and is confronted by mom who confronts him about the danger, uh, the dangers of smoking. He looks extremely uncomfortable, but agrees with her. And then she makes a comment of, do you smoke around my daughter? She's like, that's my daughter. And he's like, I I'm, I'm trying to quit. Like it's very tense and uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, she then asks him to come and sit with her for a bit. You can see he doesn't want to, but he still wants to make a good impression as this is his girlfriend's mother. The two talk. Uh, the two talk for a while as she stirs a cup of tea slowly and methodically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, that, that tea. Oh my, because every time a after this, after thirty seconds of this, like mm -hmm. it was, it was like nails on the chalkboard. That mm -hmm. just that that scraping of the ceramic. Yeah, it was like yeah. ah, make it stop. <laughs> She asks if he's curious about how the hypnosis works. He laughs and mentions the pocket watch swinging back and forth. And she goes, you watch too much TV. She goes, but we do use focal points. Again, all the while, the rhythmic scraping of the spoon. She begins asking him about his mother, about the night she died. Chris tells her he doesn't want to go there, but she keeps pressing the issue further and further, almost making him speak through the hypnosis. As Chris opens up about that night, we uh, the night that she got into the accident, we see tears running down his, his face. His expression stays completely the same, but
but tears keep falling. Like that again was extremely impressive. And apparently there, there were no effects being used there. It wasn't like, you know, they did the whole, the menthol blast where they blow it into your eyes and then to make an actor tear up. That was something that Daniel's able to do on his own. Like, cause that's oh. in the, the trivia. Jordan Peele was talking about that every single take he was able to do it with a single tear. I'm like, damn, that's impressive. Yeah. But she uh, she gets Chris to open up about the night of the accident. And he tells her that he did nothing. He tells her that he can't move. She smiles at him and tells him to sink. And Chris sinks into darkness, falling away from a window that was basically is what his eyes were seeing. He sinks farther and farther and farther away. So he's in this black void of nothingness. Mom comes close to his catatonic body and tells him that he's now in the sunken place. He tries to scream for help, but she forces his eyes shut, throwing him into total darkness. Chris wakes up, uh, wakes up in bed with a gasp. He looks around scared and confused. Rose, confused. Rose is in the shower. He's dressed in the clothes that he went outside in, and his cell phone is unplugged from the charger. So clearly he got up, but was the hypnosis a dream? We don't know yet. So this is where Act 1 ends. What are you guys thinking? Tense. Yeah. <laughs> Intense. Yeah. It's te- tense as fuck, man. <laughs> like, woo. Uh, like, even watching this for, like, the fifth time when I was watching it and making my notes, I'm like, damn. Like, I've seen this movie several times now, and every time this, this movie just, it doesn't let up on the tension. So, but again, I, I love, and I mentioned this earlier, but I love how once you know the twists, like you just see everything peppered throughout from beginning to end. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's very impressive filmmaking, but act two opens. We see Chris out in the forest uh, on the property, taking photos. Chris notices Georgina up in her room, fixing her hair. He takes a peek through his camera. She spins to look at him quick and he quickly looks away. When he looks back, she's gone. I ain't going to lie. The first time she spins and looks at him, it creeped me the fuck out. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, oh shit. Cause you don't know why she's so un. Why is she so unusual? <laughs> and why is she so focused on her hair? Which we'll find out later. Mm-hmm. But uh, we then see Walter chopping wood and he goes to talk to him. Chris comments, they're working your heart out here, huh? To which Walter responds with nothing that I don't want to be doing and then smiles creepily. Walter goes on to talk about Rose and how she's a doggone keeper. <laughs> I was like, uh, he just he talks <laughs> all wrong. Yeah. Um, but he then apologizes for scaring Chris the previous night, commenting that he was just doing his exercises. Chris tells him that it's okay, and Walter asks, did it work? Chris seems confused, and Walter explains that he was in Mrs. Armitage's office for quite some time. Chris smiles and tells him that he must have had too much wine because he can't remember anything. Walter tells him, well, I better get back to my chores, or I better get back to my chores and mind my own business, then gives him another creepy smile and goes back to chopping wood. It's like that whole interaction was just unsettling. Mm-hmm. But we cut to Chris and Rose in their room. Chris tells her that he thinks her mom hypnotized him last night. She looks shocked, but then not surprised. He tells her that he went out for some air and then talked to her, and he can't remember anything uh, anything past that point, but the thought of a cigarette makes him want to vomit. She apologizes for her mom, and, and then he goes on to tell her that he had really fucked up dreams about being trapped in a hole. She tells I him think, that, that... I think that... You and I are having just issues with speaking today. Yeah, I think well because you you had the the battle with the the headache and I had the couldn't sleep all day. So yeah, <laughs> we're we're both not fully with it today. Maurice, you're in charge. 
Okay. <laughs> We're past We're the in rain. trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he tells her about the, the nightmares he had. And she tells him how that sounds awful and apologizes once more. Chris brings up Walter saying he's hostile. He mentions that maybe he has a thing for Rose, which she turns into a joke saying, so you think I have a chance with him? <laughs> which I ain't gonna lie, that part made me laugh. I don't, I don't find him hostile. I just he, think that he's really creepy. Mm-hmm. But he was insisting, like he was asking questions about his relationship with Rose, oh, which I think, true. I think was kind of putting Chris off, like making him on, uh, making him uneasy. Like, but, oh, uh, Mr. Big Dick, Mr. Big Dick Man. Ex- exactly. Like that kind of a vibe. She then laughs and says she'll talk to her dad about it. And Chris immediately shoots it down, telling her to forget it. Just then, a line of cars begin pulling up outside, and Rose asks Chris if he's ready for the party, and they both look nervous. All right, this is when you, you should know something's <coughs> up. Because nobody oh. comes to a party at the same time. Yeah, ever. right? It was like a whole oh. parade of cars. Unless but, it's like a surprise party. But they're all rich old people. Yeah, but Probably still, in New England. Yeah, but still, like, nobody's going to come to a party at the same time. Not only that, but it was a little strange the way Walter, the groundskeeper, is greeting all the guests warmly as they arrive. Like, this will make sense later, but mm-hmm. he's hugging all of them like they're old friends. Oh, you know what? That I did not pick up on. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yep. We now get the montage of the most icky party in the world. <laughs> like, <laughs> Black <laughs> is very fashionable again. Oh, Ugh. this whole sequence. So everyone seems very enamored with Chris. Uh, one guy wants to talk to him about golf and keeps telling him how I, he, know, he knows, knows Tiger, Tiger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's the best. What's he say? Hands down. Oh, yeah. The hands, best. He says hands down the best. And didn't Dad say the same thing about Obama? Obama. Yep. Yeah. He best, said hands down. Mm-hmm. Hands down, right? Yep. Yeah. Hands down, best president in my whole life. And then he said hands down, best golfer in my life. I mean, they're all part of the same little secret society. So. Right. <laughs> but it just, again, it was that whole thing of like, oh, look, I like the black guy, too. It's like, uh, stop it. Yeah. <clears throat> then we get another couple sizing him up. This this is disturbing. The wife begins feeling Chris's arms and chest and then turns to Rose and says, is it true? Is it better? <laughs> and Chris just goes, wow. <laughs> like, he's just really uncomfortable. It's like, oh, what the fuck? Because her husband has a foot and three quarters in the grave already. I mean, he, I don't even think he can speak. And that oxygen is like just keeping him alive. Right. And she even, she turns to him and goes, what do you think? And he's just like nodding excitedly. It's like, ugh. Then there's another couple that tells him how fairer skin has been in favor for the past couple hundred of years. But now the pendulum is swung back and black is in fashion. I was like, oh, everything about these people is gross. Yep. So at this point, Chris has had enough and goes off to take some photos. We get this creepy moment where he looks around uh, at the crowd with his camera and he looks over at dad and who points right at him and tries to wave him over to an expectant crowd of whiteies who stare at him eagerly. Oh, there he is. Hi. (laughs) But tell me, this scene reminded me so much of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which I'm sure was on purpose. But it's the way dad points at him is very reminiscent of um, the very Donald's, end. Donald yeah, Sutherland. Donald Sutherland. Yeah. The, the yeah. whole, but 
the way they all turn and look right like they're all pointing right at him i was like oh fuck that's creepy but chris finally spots another black guy and goes to talk to him the man turns around and it's the guy we saw that got abducted at the beginning of the movie only now he's talking exactly like walter with that tinge that something is wrong he introduces himself as logan an older white woman philomena which that's <laughs> that's a hell of a name <laughs> that sounds like something from like <laughs> the Flintstones. <laughs> to me, it kind of <laughs> sounded like a disease. Like, oh, I got a case of the Philomena. <laughs> Philomena gives fellatio. <laughs> I got a little bit of Philomena on my balls. Oh, God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> she comes over to gather him up, telling him all of her friends are eager to to talk to him. So Logan excuses himself uh, from Chris, and he like Chris goes to fist bump him, and Logan grabs his fist and shakes it like a handshake. Like, that's not weird or nothing. So Chris watches as Logan goes over to the group, and there's all these oohs and ahs as Logan turns around, showing off his body. Like, yeah, there's nothing creepy about any of that. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> mm-hmm. So Chris wanders off and ends up talking to Jim Hudson, a blind art dealer, who tells Chris that not only does he know who he is, but he's a fan of his work. Uh, the two chat for a bit, and he tells he tells him that... Um, He lost his sight due to a genetic disorder, and now he has his assistant describe all of the art to him in great detail so he can get a feel for it. Because Jim is like, you know, how did you do it? How did you become an art dealer with, you know, being blind? He also tells him that he used to dabble in photography before he went blind, but he never truly had the eye for it. That'll be important later. Mm -hmm. He says, uh, one day you're developing pictures in a dark room, and the next day you wake up in the dark, which again... (laughs) <laughs> that's kind of uh, foreshadowing there. Um, Chris comments that shit ain't fair, and Jim agrees and echoes a sentiment. Chris walks through the house uh, of chatting guests and begins to go upstairs. As soon as he goes upstairs, they all stop chatting and look up, listening as his steps like cross the upstairs. That scene is unsettling no matter how many times I see it. Yeah, like It's very Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's so creepy. But he goes into his room and finds his phone unplugged and dead. He tries to tell Rose that he thinks Georgina unplugged it. She asks, why would she do that? And he tells her maybe that maybe she doesn't like that he's with her. Rose thinks that's ridiculous. And he tries to tell her that's a thing, you know, that, that basically black women sometimes don't like when a black guy's dating a white woman. And she gets she just writes it off. So, again, like Rose is ignoring all of the stuff that Chris is trying to put out there. And, you know, we find out why later. But at this point, I'm just like, damn it, would you listen to him? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he tells her it's fine and that he's going to call Rod. Cut to him with his phone plugged into the wall, calling Rod. Chris tells his friend about how weird it is there and tells him that he, he was hypnotized by Rose's mom to help qu- help him quit smoking. Something that Rod thinks is completely insane. <laughs> and this <laughs> is where we get the first hypnotizing to be a sex slave speech. <laughs> yeah. Because he goes off telling Chris they could have had him doing all sorts of crazy shit. Barking like a dog, flapping like a pigeon. He then launches into a tirade about how white folks like to be making people their sex slaves. (laughs) I fucking lost it. It's so funny. But Chris goes on to tell him that all the white people here seem like they've never met a black person who doesn't work for them. And all the black people there seem to have missed the movement. Rod comments that they're probably all hypnotized. Basically, he hits the nail right on the head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Chris is unamused and Rod tells him, hey, I'm just connecting the dots. 
they get off the phone and Georgina is standing in the room. Oh, Chris, this scene. This is, this I'm is getting the scene shivers. That yep. Yeah. Because Chris is understandably startled and Georgina apologizes for unplugging his phone. She tells him that she moved it to clean the nightstand and it came unplugged. And rather than messing with it anymore, she just left it as is. The whole time she's talking, it's just like Walter and Logan. Chris tells her not to worry that he didn't mean to snitch. And she does and she doesn't understand the the you know what snitch means. She she mm-hmm. looks at him, she goes, I'm sorry, and he goes, you know, rat you out. And she goes, Oh, tattletale. And then she goes, I, it's okay, I don't answer to anyone. And he's like, Okay. <laughs> and then he smiles and tells her that sometimes he gets a little nervous if there's too many white people around. Georgina kind of freezes and just stares blankly for a moment before composing herself, smiling and saying, Oh, no, 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 no. And she just keeps repeating no. And while crying. She, yeah, I was going to say, while she's saying no, a single tear starts to roll down her cheek. This scene is fucking creepy as hell. This is the scene where I'm like, this woman deserves all kinds of accolades because holy <laughs> shit, this scene was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Like, she just crushes it. Because again, her face is perfectly composed. You can see her eyes are crying out for help. And she tells her that 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 hasn't been her experience at all. The Armitages are so good to us. They treat us like family. This is like, <laughs> everything about this is not okay. Mm-hmm. She then quick, quickly walks away, leaving Chris creep the fuck out. Like, this bitch is crazy. But Chris heads outside and dad stops him saying he wants to introduce him to some friends. We see a group of old folks standing around expectantly. One of them asks if he feels being African-American has an advantage or disadvantage in the modern world. Oh, this, this part. Was, and this was from an Asian. Yep. Yes. And Chris looks annoyed and he's like, uh, I don't know. He then sees Logan and Philomena and calls out to Logan, telling him what he was just asked, saying, maybe you can handle this question better. Logan smiles and tells them that for him, his experience has been very good. He says that it's uh, hard for him to go into detail, though, as he hasn't had much desire to leave the house in a while. He awkwardly smiles at Philomena, who tells the group that they've become quite the homebodies as of late. Logan continues saying that he has no interest in going out, that his chores around the house have become his sanctuary. Chris goes to sneak a photo of Logan, but his phone has the flash on. So when he snaps a photo, it flashes, stopping Logan dead in his tracks. I don't understand the flash. I think it interrupts interrupts, uh, uh, hypnotism. Right. It's kind of like when you're hypnotized and they're like, when I snap my fingers, you'll wake up. It's kind of that thing. Okay. That, thank you for explaining that, because I did not get that. Oh, no worries. Um, but yeah, as soon as, as soon as he stops dead, dead in his tracks, a trickle of blood begins to run out of his nose. He rushes at Chris, talking completely differently, and yells at him to get out. He grabs Chris and continues yelling at him to get the fuck out of there. Jeremy and Dad and the others grab Logan and drag him off while he's screaming. <clears throat> Cut to Rose and Chris talking with Dad and the others about... Er, <clears throat> Rose and Chris sitting in the study. Yeah, that's while what I was Dad to explains say. that it was an epileptic episode. He had a seizure. Yeah, he says that seizures can trigger anxiety and panic attacks, causing people to lash out. And Chris Rose... says, "Bullshit." <laughs> well, not yet. He doesn't because Rose questions. Well, later on, he does. Yeah, Rose questions this, and he tells her it's quite common. Um, he also mentions that it was the camera flash that caused the seizure. 
Uh, so and again, it's like with like uh, with flashing lights, how like, you know, there was the whole rumor of the old oh, Japanese cartoon with all the flashing lights was making kids fall down and have seizures. Yeah. That's also, and that's, they yeah, that makes sense. This part, I I don't get what the purpose of Chris taking the picture of Logan was in the first place. He was going to send it to to Rod to be like, look at how how weird this is. No, because he, okay. he know, no, he knows him. Well, he he does, but remember, well, he, later, remember later on, he says, "I've seen this guy before. I know." Right, him. right. He he does, but when he sends it to Rod, he's like, "Look at how this guy's dressed." So, like, oh, I okay, think it was it, there was part of that, like, because Chris was trying to place where he knew him from, but I think he was trying to show Rod like what he was telling them about like the black folk that were there. He's like, they're they don't act like we do, like they're acting like these people, and I think that was kind of what he was getting at. And then when when uh when uh, Rod tell, calls him later and explains like, Hey, that's Andre. He's like, I fucking knew it. I did know that guy. Like, and then he flips out, you know, but yeah, I think at the time it was, it was a combination of wanting to show maybe, maybe it was both. Maybe he wanted to show Rod to be like, Hey, do you know this guy? Or, you know, the, the way he was dressed. Cause he does comment on his dress. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. So like when uh, let's see here. So yeah, after the, the explanation about the camera flash, uh, Mom, Philomena, and Logan come out of her office. Logan apologizes to everyone, assuring them that he's quite fine now. Logan tells them that the seizure took a lot out of him and he needs to go home and rest. He apologizes once more and he and Philomena leave. Dad suggests that they get the party back on track with sparklers and bingo. Oh, boy. Mm. <laughs> Which, of, of course, you know, we find out later what the bingo is actually code for. Um yes. Rose tells dad that she and Chris are going to go for a walk and they leave the house. This is again why I'm like, I Rose is clearly in on it the whole time. Cause she's like, Oh yeah, let me get him away from the house. So you guys can do your thing. Yeah. Go uh, play bingo. Mm-hmm. So dad looks at the group and nods. Rose and Chris are standing by the lake. He tells her that his cousin has seizures and what happened back there was no seizure. She reminds him that her dad is a neurosurgeon. And if he says that it was a seizure, it probably was. Chris insists again that it wasn't. He also comments that he knew the guy. He goes, not Logan, but the guy that came at me, that guy I knew. Rose just stares at him confused. So he's trying to say, like, there's a difference. Like, Logan is not the man I knew, but the guy who, when he had the seizure, that's the guy I knew. So, mm-hmm. you know, clearly he's, he's putting the pieces together. He goes on to tell her that uh, when her mom was in his head, she, he thinks that she messed him up. That now he's thinking all of these things that he doesn't want to be thinking. Rose reminds him that uh, the hypnosis worked and that he quit smoking. He doesn't care and wants to leave, which Rose quickly, quickly makes it about herself. I was like, damn, subtle, but very manipulative. Because she's like, oh, you want to leave without me? And Chris says, whatever you want to do. And then she turns and like, you know, has her back to him. So it's like she's she's pulling the strings like you fucking bitch. Yep. But while this conversation is happening, we see snippets of all the old folk at a silent auction in the yard. We pan out to see that they're bidding on Chris. Uh, Jim Hudson ends up with the winning bid and the crowd claps for him. Back to Rose and Chris. He talks to her about the night his mom died. He tells her how he sat there watching TV hour after hour, just waiting for her to come home. And that he found out later that his mom survived the initial hit and run. That it took hours for her to die, cold and alone by the side of the road. And that there was time. If someone had gone looking for her, there was time to save her. But he just sat there watching TV. Rose tries to remind him that he was just a little kid. But Chris has clearly been carrying this guilt for a very long time. 
he tells her that he's not going to leave her there that you know she's all he has and he's not going to abandon her they hug she tells him let's go home and she tells him we'll make something up we'll just go home they and, kiss and that's and that's what makes it really more messed up is like to him she's or to him she's the only one he has right yeah and and she's feeding into this she's like we'll we'll just leave we'll go i'll i'll tell my parents something you know it's like i the whole i love you thing you know so she's she's feeding into this like wanting him to latch on to her mhm so they kiss he tells her he loves her and that she you know she tells him she loves him too as the sun is setting so this is where act 2 ends what are you guys thinking more and more fucked up by the minute yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> by the second this I'm- again Oh, good. I mean, it's 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 just such a piece of good work by Jordan Veal, though. Oh, as it, fucked up as it is, is this movie's just really good. Well, and, and I think there was a there was a problem when this film came out. A lot of people wrote it off as not being scary, and basically, I, and I'm sure you guys will remember, there was a lot of people, especially in the online horror communities, of people bitching. Oh, Jordan Peele doesn't make scary movies. And, you know, would would claim very racist, biased stuff. Um, but the problem is those people have no understanding of what what horror actually is. And this drives me crazy constantly. People well, look at they look at jump scares. They want jump mm-hmm. scares when you have to actually stop and think about the horror movie. They don't want to deal with it. So stuff like this and Rosemary's Baby. And I mean, to a lesser extent, The Exorcist, because The Exorcist does have jump scares. But again, the concepts of like your body not being your own, you know, mm-hmm. the step, the Stepford wives, stuff like yeah. that is unsettling on a whole different level. Like, yeah, it's not jump scare. It's not the monster jumping out of the dark closet, spooking you in the middle of the night. It, and that has its place. Obviously we love those type of movies. We talk about Jason all the fucking time on the show, but these types of films, stuff like his house, we just watched the slow burn, the unsettling idea of what would you do in this situation when you can empathize and put yourself in the situation of the main characters, it creates a truly horrific story. And I, I will praise this movie till the end of days for, for that, because my God, like the, the, the thought of losing your body, but being a passenger in it is terrifying, which is explained to Chris yeah, in a little bit. But like we got in, at this point in the film, we got we get that that preview with Logan. And mm-hmm. it's like, fuck, dude, like that's the, once they explain it. I remember sitting there, me and Tara saw this in the theater. And I remember just like my whole body tensing up and being like, fuck, like, because it's such a scary idea. But again, I, I, I love what he does with these films and. Like I've said multiple times, the invasion of the body snatchers and Stepford Wives vibes are very strong, especially in the second act. And, you know, I, I'm fucking here for it. I love those types of horror movies. And Jordan Peele is making some damn good ones. Mm-hmm. So one, one of these days we will get us on here because that's that's my favorite of his bunch. But act three, we see Chris and Rose walking back to her parents house as the party goers are leaving for the night. As Chris and Rose return, Jeremy is standing on the porch strumming a ukulele, very reminiscent of the banjo in Deliverance. Yep. I was like, oh, that's <laughs> very much like dueling banjos. But Georgina and Walter are just standing there smiling creepily at them. Dad smiles and mom stares. Like mom had that like, she almost looked villainous in the scene. 
So everything seems slightly off. She looks like a villain from the start. She yeah. does. She doesn't smile much throughout the entire film. But back in their room, Chris sends a picture of Logan to Rod, who immediately calls him and tells him that's Andre. And yeah, this is what we were talking about, where Chris realizes he's right. And he's like, I do know him. And he's like, you know, he goes goes on and says how different he is now. And Rod says, yeah, no shit. Why is he wearing what he's wearing? And Chris tells him he was acting weird and came to the party with a white woman 30 years older than him. And Rod screams, <laughs> sex slave! <laughs> <laughs> He's he not wrong. Just, no. <laughs> hey, I mean, in a way, he's not. Because <laughs> remember, the other old lady was curious about if it's better. So mm-hmm. it's like, oh, 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 no. Rod was on to something. And uh, he tells Chris to get the fuck out of there before something happens. But Chris's phone dies, leaving Rod left or leaving Rod to freak out and worry about his friend. Rose comes in and tells Chris that they need to uh, need to get going. Say, or I'm sorry. Rose comes in and Chris tells her they need to go now saying he wants to leave ASAP. She says that she'll go get her bag and leaves the room. Chris so where's says, where was her bag in the first place? I think where's I, her luggage? She had luggage. This this is true. Yeah, Cuz she only grabs like a like a like almost like an overnight bag, like a little duffel bag. It was mm-hmm. that was a that was a purse. Well, it was one of those giant purses. It was a pretty big purse. Yeah. <laughs> um but it was it was almost like a messenger bag size purse. Yeah. But um so while while she leaves the room, Chris notices a small storage closet with a door o- like with the door open and he goes to investigate inside. He finds a red box full of photos of Rose with other black men and eventually Georgina. So now we know she's full of shit when she says that he's the first black guy or the only black guy she ever dated. Because the first. So right before we see the picture of her with Georgina, it's her and Walter. Yep. Yeah. So and bef- uh, like we see it's it starts off like he's looking through the photos and it's like pictures of her like doing gymnastics and stuff as a teenager, like growing up. And then it's like her with a boyfriend as a black guy. And then it's another black guy, another black guy. And then eventually we see Walter and then we see Georgina. And it's like, oh, OK, so she's full of shit. Um, so Rose comes back into the room and Chris closes the storage closet and asks if, and she asks if everything is OK. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I just I need my camera. I was looking for my camera. And she's like, oh, here it is. And hands it to him. He's like, all right, we need to go. He asks for the car keys and she starts shuffling, you know, through her bag saying he's going to go put the stuff in the car. And of course, she can't find the keys, making all these excuses about it. Which Um, that is believable because my mother-in-law can never find her keys in her purse either. Oh, I was going to say, there's been times where Jess has even done that. Like where, you know, if she's driving somewhere and she's like, damn it, I can't find the key. And she puts her purse down and starts rifling through it. Um, So, I mean, again, believable, but unsettling because there's that urgency now of we need to get the fuck out. And we know that Rose is lying to him. So there's the whole sequence just keeps getting tense and more and more tense. More tenser, for yeah, sure. <laughs> tenser and tenser. But he's like, well, we'll look for him on the move. Let's go. And they start heading toward the door. As they go downstairs, we see Jeremy standing by the door with a lacrosse stick asking, where are you going? The party is just getting started. Mom comes out asking if anyone wants any tea. Chris tells her, no, no, we need to go. And Rose comments that Chris's dog is sick and they need to be at the vet first thing in the morning. In the background, we see dad just standing by the fire, staring into it. He asks, what's your purpose, Chris? What's your purpose in life? Chris responds with, right now, it's finding those keys. Rose, how are we doing on those keys? <laughs> and Rose is still fumbling in her in her bag while her dad gives this very unsettling speech, saying, 
fire is a reflection of our own mortality. We're born, we breathe, and we die. Even the sun will die someday. But we are divine. We are gods trapped in cocoons. I'm like, okay, yeah, fucking break the door down and run. <laughs> like, that was that was some Victor Frankenstein shit right there. <laughs> right? I was like, gods no. and monsters. I don't want anything to do with any of this. <laughs> but Chris freaks out, yelling at Rose to give him the keys. Jeremy takes a swing at him with the stick, and Chris dodges it. Rose changes her entire demeanor and tells him, you know I can't give you the keys, right, babe? And she holds them up in her hand. Chris mm. is surrounded and realizes that he drops his bags and kind of looks around. He attempts to fight, but Chris, uh, I'm sorry, he attempts to fight Jeremy, but mom taps her teacup three times and Chris suddenly falls into the sunken place. Dad and Jeremy pick Chris up and carry him into the basement. As he sinks down further and further, Rose smiles at him and says, you were one of my favorites. Fucking creepy. Yep. <laughs> like, oh my God. She's a oh, real also, fucking bitch. She it's really also is. funny because the mom is like, Jeremy, da- I forget what the dad's name is, but you, dad, you help him. He's already damaged him enough. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, oh, like he's property. Like, ah, so many freaking creepy moments about this family. But we cut to Rod at work trying to call Chris, but he only gets his voicemail. Later, Rod heads to Chris's place to feed the dog and tries to call again. Still no answer. While he's at Chris's place, he decides to go online and look up Andre Hayworth. He finds a bunch of posts about him being a missing person. So Rod sees that something is up. Back at the Armitage house, we see Chris strapped in a chair in a room in the basement. And this is where uh, I had mentioned this earlier about um, the whole like the, the, the deer head, the buck. Um, so we see, basically, it's Chekhov's antlers, because this is going to come into play. But we see a deer head up, mounted on the wall. And this, I, I know I mentioned it earlier, but the whole, like, you know, the the racist connotations. But also it kind of plays into what Rod said about the, the whole sex slave. So mm-hmm. the symbolism is all over it. But so he, he comes to and begins to freak out, desperately trying to get out of the restraints on the chair. The TV turns on and we get a serene video of a forest and then it zooms in on Roman Armitage. He explains all about the procedure that's going to happen, how you'll be part of something greater, and that basically his family has figured out a way to extend life. Um, They're part of a freaky secret society that steals people's bodies and they call themselves the Coagula. So, like, you know, kind of coagulate to bring the mass together. Um... But the video turns to the tea being stirred and Chris passes out again. Cut to Rod at the police station trying to convince the detective that something is wrong. This scene is actually really funny because he's like, you know, we kind of in the same line of work. You're a detective. I'm TSA. I might be better at my job, but. (laughs) But we ain't talking about that right now. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. But yeah, he's trying to convince her that something's going wrong. You know, that, that, that they're trying to turn people into sex slaves. And then, like, she's like, hold on a second. And she comes back in with two other detectives. And she's like, okay, tell me what you were, tell them what you were telling me. (laughs) And he goes into this whole tirade about the sex slaves and all that. And then when he finishes, they all fucking lose it. (laughs) And the detective he was talking to looks at the others and goes, don't you dare say I never did nothing for you. (laughs) I was cracking up. So he gets laughed out of the station. That night, Rod tries calling Chris again. But this time, Rose picks up. This scene is creepy as fuck because she's she's acting scared on the phone, saying how Chris left two days ago 
and was acting weird. So she's worried about him. And then when we pan over to her, we see that she's sitting stock still like a fucking robot. But her voice, you know, is acting like she's scared. I was like, ugh. <laughs> like she, again, the actress is really good in this. Mm-hmm. So Rod smells bullshit right away as his TSA agent senses start tingling. <laughs> <laughs> he puts yeah. her on. Uh, he says, I'm a little, you're confused. I'm a little cl- confused. I need a minute. <laughs> he puts her on hold. <laughs> yeah, he's like, and he's like, he's like he goes, he sets up a recording and he's like, this, you talk too much. You're going to fucking say something wrong. I know it. I just know it. <laughs> but so he, when he gets her back on the phone, he's now recording and she immediately switches and accuses him of wanting to fuck her, saying that she's seen how he's looked at her every time they're around. And Rod starts to freak up, like freak out. He's like, uh, fuck you. when he hangs up and he's like, <laughs> fucking bitch as crafty. <laughs> like, but we see she, is, uh, she a genius because <laughs> he realized what she did. He's like, oh, shit. But we when we pan out, we see Rose's family just watching her all smiles and happy the way she handled that situation. Back in the basement, Chris comes to again. He begins scratching at the arm of the chair and or I'm sorry, he was scratching at the arm of the chair in his sleep, slowly shredding it with his nails. This will be important in a minute. The TV comes back on, and now we get Jim Hudson talking to him. He if only he had given him a stapler, everything would have been okay. <laughs> oh, Stephen Root. I love that guy. He's so great. I always think of him as freaking um, Bill. If you could dodge a wrench, you could dodge a ball. Oh, no, that was a different guy. That was, um, oh, what's his name? That was the guy from Men in Black that you're thinking of. Oh, that's right. But he was in, he was in that movie, wasn't he? Is no, he, character? He, he was, no, he wasn't in Dodgeball. Um, he was in a lot of... Um, I don't think he was in Dodgeball. Now you're making me second guess. I'm going to have to look in the bones. Yeah, no, Stephen Root works with um, freaking uh, dude who made King of the Hill and Beavis and Butthead. Um, what's his name? Oh, Mike, uh, uh, Mike Judge. Mike Judge. Um, yeah. Uh, not Mike Judge. Yeah, Mike yes. Judge. Yeah, yeah Mike, Mike Judge. Because he does the voice for Bill from King of the Hill and he was in office space and he was in, uh, uh, idiocracy and a bunch of other stuff. He was in dodgeball. Oh, he was he played. He played Gordon. Okay. Yeah. Cause, but the guy who was training him was the guy from men. Yeah, Black. correct. No, I was, yeah. I was mistaken, but he was, he was in that movie. Okay. Now, Steven Root Rip is torn. Rip. That's his is name. The, yeah. <laughs> He's dead now. Oh, he was good. Yeah. I liked him. But, uh, but no, it's uh, so Stephen Root. Or, yeah, Stephen Root. Jim comes on the TV and explains what's happening. He uh, he tells him that there's an intercom in the room, so Chris can respond, and you know he can hear him. He explains that basically he's going to take Chris's body over, that he won't be completely gone. A piece of his brain needs to remain to keep the nervous system running, but that Jim will be driving. Basically, uh, Chris will be a passenger, an audience, and will live in the sunken place. So you know. Chris will be conscious and aware of everything that's happening, but powerless to stop it. And Jesus Christ, that is terrifying to me. Um, Chris asks, why us? Why black people? And he tells him he's not sure. He goes, some people want to be stronger or faster or just plain cooler. And while he's saying that, we're getting flashbacks of the old folks who like, you know, the guy who wanted to be better at his golf game. The, mm-hmm. You know, the the old man who was who wanted to be stronger because he was dying. And then the other, the fat dude who just wanted to be cooler because black is in. Yep. Like, oh, it's creepy. 
Um, but then Jim tells him, I couldn't care what color you are. He goes, all, and he goes, what I want is something deeper. What I want is that eye. So basically he wants the photographer's eye. The TV turns off and Chris is left alone once more. As he sits there, he notices the stuffing sticking out of the arm in the chair. The TV comes back on with the teacup. Chris is forced to pass out again. Cut to a surgical room in the basement. We see dad gearing up to perform surgery on Jim. Jeremy brings him his tools and dad begins cutting into Jim's scalp. Jeremy is so fucking disgusting. He like, really is. There's, there's no way that he could have gotten clean enough for surgery. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. No, he wasn't sterile. <laughs> well, that's why he wasn't uh, he wasn't doing the surgery. He was forced to go go get Chris. <laughs> He's like, you need to go on get your your, st- your sticky germs are going to get in uh, Stephen Root's head. <laughs> but so Jeremy takes a wheelchair and goes to get Chris. Uh, Jeremy undoes the straps on Chris's chair and gets the IV bag ready on the wheelchair. Suddenly, we see Chris grab a croquet ball and and crack Jeremy upside the head with it. Jeremy hits the floor and begins convulsing. Chris hits him again and again until he stops moving. And there's a lot of fucking blood. So what we're going to encounter in a few minutes mm-hmm. is going to be really like, what What the fuck? Yeah. But he then, he, we see he pulls the, the cotton out of his ears. So he had the stuffing from the chair that he put into his ears. Um, so he stopped the hy- hypnosis and was basically playing. Um, Dad opens up Jim's skull and notices that Jeremy isn't back yet. He goes out into the hall to look for his son, and Chris stabs him with the antlers on the buck's head, killing him. So, <laughs> check off antlers. <laughs> he also just, like, discards, like, the scalp and the skull in, like, a bucket. Mm-hmm. Well, remember, he's not going to need it because that body's going to be dead. So what do they do with it? Like, do they have a crematorium? Either that or bury him somewhere on the massive land they have. Yeah, throw him to yeah. the crocodiles in the... Oh, no, that's a different movie. I was going to say, that was X. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so while Dad staggers back into the surgical room, he knocks over a candle, which lights the room on fire. Chris heads back upstairs, catches Georgina in the kitchen. She sees him and runs off. Like, she just takes off. She's like, fuck this. He grabs his phone, sees Mom standing in her office watching him. She goes to grab her teacup, and he rushes over and shatters it before she can get to it. She grabs a letter opener and goes to stab him. And the look on his face, like, he's just so done with it at this point. He yeah. just holds up his hand. She stabs clean through his fucking hand. And he grabs her and turns his hand and stabs her with the letter opener still sticking out of his hand. I was like, ugh. <laughs> like, I mean, at this point, he's he's had enough. Yeah. But... He goes to leave and Jeremy tackles him and starts choking him out. So how the fuck was Jeremy still alive? <laughs> exactly. Like movie's got it, a movie. All, all, all of the germs on his scalp created like a quick scab. <laughs> so. I'm glad I was done swallowing my water because I would have <laughs> I probably really would have spit that out. <laughs> so they're they're now struggling back and forth. Chris keeps trying to open up the door, but Jeremy keeps pulling him back, choking him. Chris yanks the the letter opener out of his hand and stabs Jeremy in the le- in the leg with it. Jeremy falls over screaming, and then Chris fucking stomps him to death, like just fucking st- boots to skull, stomps the Good. fuck this guy. Yeah, right. I was like, that's the only time I've seen that in a movie where I'm like, fuck yeah, stomp him again. <laughs> like that guy deserved it. But he then grabs Jeremy's car keys and runs out the door. Cut to Rose being creepy as 
fuck? Like, this is really unsettling. She has a bowl of dry Fruit Loops and a glass of milk. And, and she's, she's listening to I've Had the Time of My Life from <laughs> Dirty Dancing while doing Bing searches. First of all, who who really uses Bing? I, that's an honest question. That, that's, Bing a movie, searches. that's a movie thing. Okay. It, it's because it's kind of like how with iPhone, like how iPhones are almost always in movies because Apple basically lets people do it without charging them anything. Bing is the okay. same way. Whereas you'd have to pay if you wanted to use Google. That's why it's never Google. It's like Grapple or Boogle or something like <laughs> okay. that. Okay. Well, she's Grapple. binging. Then, tra- then Transformers will sue. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, she's binging for, for her next victim. Right, but yeah. it's, it's creepy because she's, first of all, who the fuck eats dry Fruit Loops a single Fruit Loop at a time and takes multiple bites? Like me, that that that's some psycho shit, buddy. You need to get that well, checked out. <laughs> well, it's and I love sucking up the milk after I eat it too. Uh, that sounded <laughs> really wrong. <laughs> Yuck! While she's doing this, yeah, she's basically like shopping for her next victim, which is like. Uh, everything about this is creepy and gross. I don't like it. But we see Chris gets to Jeremy's car and tries to drive away and call 911. I'm sorry, when he first gets into the car, we see the knight's helmet. So we know that it was Jeremy that got Logan at the beginning of the film. And then Um, it's run rabbit run playing on when he turns the car on. Yep. So let's hear the song on repeat. I know, right? So he starts to to drive away and trying to call 911 while he's trying to explain to the operator what's happening. Georgina runs out in front of the car and gets hit. Chris sits there trying to make himself go, but he remembers his mother and how no one helped her, and he, he, he just can't stop himself. So he gets out, gets Georgina, and puts her in the car. Rose comes out of the now-burning house with a rifle as Chris drives away, and she says, Grandma, and begins to follow. In the car, Georgina, Georgina slowly comes to. We see her hair isn't fixed right, and there's a huge scar across her forehead. She looks at Chris and screams, you ruined my house, and begins attacking him, causing them to crash into a tree. Chris comes to, finds Georgina dead. Suddenly, the side mirror is blown off, and we see Rose walking up, loading another round into the rifle. Chris gets out and tries to hobble away as she shoots at him. Walter comes running up behind her, and she says, get him, Grandpa. Walter chases him down and tackles Chris to the ground. Walter's hat falls off, and we see a huge scar across his head, too. So now we understand why Walter and Georgina were welcoming all of their old friends because it literally was, you know, Roman and his wife. So grandma and grandpa Armitage, like, oh, it's creepy. So Walter starts choking Chris. Uh, Chris pulls out his phone and uses the flash on Walter. His eyes go blank for a moment. He stands up, turns to Rose and tells her, let me do it. He reaches for the gun. She hands it over. He cocks it, turns to her, and shoots her in the belly. He then cocks it again and shoots himself in the head. Chris looks over at Rose and sees her reaching for the gun, still alive. He gets it away from her before she can use it. He tries to, or she tries to tell him that she loves him and that she's sorry, and he slowly begins choking her. Just then, she smiles up at him wickedly, and he can't do it. That was fucking disturbing. Yeah. So she, he's choking her, trying to kill her. And she goes from this like panic, like, oh, please don't. I love you to just this evil fucking grin. I was like, oh, <laughs> like Jesus Christ. 
suddenly a cop car pulls up and begin and and she begins calling out for help. Now, this is the first part. So first time I saw this, I like my heart sank because I was like, oh, fuck, the cops are going to shoot him. Like immediately thought like the that's cops what I thought, too. Yeah. And uh, like I thought I, I forget. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. Go ahead, Maurice. What were you going to say? I, I was going to say uh, I forgot. I was I forgot. And I was thinking, oh, it's, it's the cop from the beginning. But, oh, from the road. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I, I thought because yeah. it's, it's been a while since I watched it and I kind of forgot about this part. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, shit, it's that cop from the beginning of the movie. Yeah, see, I mean, and I think I'm sure that that's exactly what he wanted us to all think was like, you know, the cops are going to see a black guy choking a white woman and they're going to shoot him. Because, um, mm-hmm. of course, that's, <clears throat> that's exactly where my brain went. I was like, oh, God, no, don't. You know, but then we see when the door opens, we see that it says the airport TSA. (laughs) You know, Chris stands up raising his hands and then we see Rod jump out of the car and and Chris, you know, notices it's Rod. So he goes staggering over to, to get help and Rod, they get in the car and Rod goes, I mean, I told you not to go into that house. (laughs) And Chris goes, how did you find me? And Rod goes, I'm TS motherfucking a, we handle shit. That's what we do. Consider the situation fucking handled. Yep. And they drive away to leave Rose to die in the road. Credits, the end. Now, this is the other thing I, I honestly thought was going to happen. Like, I, I was waiting for it. Like, me and Tara sat through the entire credits because I'm like, I feel like there's going to be a fucking stinger. I feel like what's going to end up happening is we're going to see the surgery get completed and that Chris is in the sunken place. Like I thought that this was all happening in his head while he was hypnotized. And I was ah. like, I was terrified they were going to do that. I was like, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> and of course they didn't, which is what I, the thing I wanted to say at the start was the thing I really like about Jordan Peele films is no matter how fucked up they are, no matter how twisted the concept, twisted the story, no matter what happens during it, there is somewhat of a happy ending with every one of them so far. Somebody lives, you know, and it's not always who you expect, but there, there's some kind of good outcome for, for, for the characters that deserve it, you know, for the characters that you're like, I want that guy to live. And like, Oh good. He lived. (laughs) (laughs) So I really do appreciate that because there, there's a lot of horror that is extremely bleak, you know, throughout. And don't get me wrong. I love that too, but I like knowing that like, okay, as fucked up as this movie's going to be, I'm going to get a little, a little light at the end of the tunnel. And it's, it's just something I enjoy with his films. But uh, final thoughts. What do you guys think about this movie? I really did think, yeah, I love it. I really did think that the way it ended was the twist. Mm-hmm. Because like you, when you see those lights, you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah, you, expect, you-, you expect it to end badly for him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and especially because the poor guy couldn't catch a break throughout the entire fucking movie. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like every time you think like he's going to be fine, something else happens. It's like, oh, he's not going to be fine. <laughs> right. So. But yeah, I, I really, really love this film. Like, um, I know it, it, it does get a lot of accolades and rightfully so. And I know a lot of people are put off by that when a movie is very popular. But first of all, I hate it when people act like that. Like there's a reason things get popular. Because they're good, <laughs> like they're well made or they're it's like Maurice, you and I talk about this all the time with like superhero films, for example, how uh, there's a lot of people out there who hate 
the you know Marvel movies or now the the upcoming Disney or Disney DC shared universe. Um, a lot of people hate that because like, oh, it's popular. It's what's in. There's a reason that it is like you don't have to love every single entry, but it's OK to like something that's popular. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember when this movie like really was taken off and everybody was like, oh, my God, you need to see it. You need to see it. A lot of people were just like, yeah, I don't want to. And I know like I the, I'm not going to name names, but the people that I know that said that at the time are the types of people that if it's popular, they don't really want to watch it. And then have since gone back and watched it. And they're like, wow, that really was good. And it's like, fucking told you so. <laughs> like, it's it's popular for a reason. It's really good. Um, and again, I, I know I've said it all throughout this episode, but I cannot I cannot state enough how much the concept of this really freaks me out. And I think that's why I like the movie so much, because it's rare that a movie really sticks with me and scares me. And this, because of its its concept of losing losing all autonomy and being stuck in your own body, that is just like, oh, I'm getting shivers just thinking about it. Like, it really works on me. So I'm definitely the right mark for that type of body horror because <laughs> it, it, uns- <laughs> it unsettles the fuck out of me. <laughs> so, but yeah, so I think I think we're all in agreement that this was a, a fucking fine film, which is why we chose it to be on the list this month. A and, triple uh, F. Yes, that's indeed. our that's our rating. We have a, a rating system film. now. A triple <laughs> like F. It. We give this a triple F. Fucking fine film. Yes. Speaking <laughs> of fucking, yesterday oh. I get no no. This is funny. This is so. I don't like. I've mentioned a few times at work that I I co-host a podcast. Mm-hmm. Mentioned that it's about horror movies. One of my friends from work, actually the guy on my team, yesterday morning I walk in and he's like Susie, and I was like what. He goes, I listened to your podcast, and my, you swear so much. <laughs> <laughs> he watched, he listened, he watched, he listened to the um, Nightmare on Elm Street one, because that's his favorite movie, mm. his favorite scary movie. So I was like, yep, yep, yep. I said, that's, that's pretty much me in real life, too, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's you should just play the the mother motherfuck mother motherfuck mother motherfuck mother motherfuck fuck mother motherfuck so hopefully <laughs> we've gained another another listener i said you know we have several years of this so for you to go through so yeah i i, I hope so because as we've discussed uh, a little little behind the scenes folks um for those of you actually listening and enjoying this show please share it with other people because the algorithm is killing us right now Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, the algorithms are all screwed up. Zuckerberg wants money. So if you don't give him money, you're not getting advertised properly. Um, We have people who literally follow our account and aren't seeing our page, like aren't seeing our posts. I don't see our posts very often in in my Facebook feed unless I go to it like to see, hey, anything new posted or I and I know I've told you before that on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I seldom ever see the boogeyman's closet stuff pop up unless I go to our page. Right. And that's the thing. Like I've actually put it to the test where I've asked a few people if uh, the boogeyman's closet stuff comes up in the feed when I pay for an advertisement. Um, it's, it's rare that I do that, but every once in a while I'll throw 10 books at, uh, at old Zuckerberg and see if I can get some, you know, some advertising likes and um, we'll get a lot of views then. And people say that, yeah, you know, it, it shows up in the feed. But when we don't do that, it's not showing up. So it's it's really freaking annoying. 
Um, I know there's a lot of lot of people, and we 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 are grateful for every single one of you listening to the show. There's a lot of people who just flat out subscribe to us on Podbean, and that's wonderful because that's that's a, that's you're gonna get it if if like you're subscribing to it, it will show up and let you know when the podcast is available. But I know a lot of people also will just go and stream it, which is perfectly fine as well if you don't want to download it. But the problem is a lot of people aren't seeing when we post new episodes. So, you know, if you're a listener and you enjoy the show, please tell your friends, share us, you know, throw it out there. And hell, if you if you're sharing us regularly, uh, you know, we'll give you some shout outs and maybe you'll get a little uh, Boogeyman's Closet gift your way in the mail. So just a little incentive out there. Well, I'm going to give Dale a shout out just for seeking it out. Absolutely. So shout out to you, Dale. Thank you for listening. Yes, thank you for for checking us out, and I hope you enjoy uh, all of our shenanigans, our weekly shenanigans, if you will. <laughs> if you want to, if you want to know the real Sue's a little bit better, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But uh, there's a ton of trivia on this movie, so I only wrote down a couple of things. Um, there's plenty out there. Uh, it, like if you go to IMDb, it's like two pages worth. Um, but due to the success of this film, Jordan Peele became the first African American writer, producer, and director to earn more than a hundred million in a debut film. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. That's really mm-hmm. fucking impressive. Also, the movie was only filmed in 23 days. Again, really fucking impressive. Um, this I found really fucking funny that Jordan Peele directed scenes in the movie while doing impression or impersonations of Tracy Morgan, Forrest Whitaker and Barack Obama. So anyone who's watched Key and Peele knows how good he is at impressions. <laughs> and I can picture him doing this and it cracked me the fuck up thinking about it. Because again, you, you have this very heavy subject matter and he, and thinking of him directing it in those voices cracks me up. Um, the sunken place sequences is a mixture of practical effects and CGI. Uh, uh, Daniel Kalua was attached to wires floating in front of a black background. So that's basically the, the, a, very, a very simple effect, but they just had him hanging there with a, a black screen behind him and just kind of CGI'd the wires out and had those the little particle effect that's kind of floating around him. That was mm-hmm. all. I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. This this is another piece that cracked me the fuck up. Um, Jordan Peele stated that he asked Richard Hurd, who plays Roman Armitage, to think of his scene as a via. <laughs> As a Viagra commercial, but trying to hide deep rage. And Roman said, <laughs> he was, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, Richard Hurd responded with, that sounds like all Viagra ads to me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's fucking good. Um, this was also pretty interesting that uh, Chance the Rapper was so impressed by this movie that he bought all of the movie tickets from a certain Chicago movie theater and just tweeted out to his fans, go see the movie for free and enjoy it. So basically that's they awesome. To, they had to pull up with their ID and until the movie theater was was packed, you know, it was like, come and get a free movie. I was like, that's cool. Um, and then th- this last but not least, uh, Jordan Peele said that the title is also a reference to what he often hears black audiences shout at the screen while watching horror films, yelling at the character to get out. And he goes <laughs> in this movie, both Rod and Andre say it to Chris. I was like, that's fucking funny. That like is. That. But and then now, because it's IMDb, we have to have at least one bullshit alert. Um, Apparently, Eddie Murphy was originally chosen to play Chris, but Jordan Peele changed his mind after he decided he was too old for the role. Yeah, I call bullshit. (laughs) There is no way. There's no way. There's no way. I could see Eddie Murphy playing like the character of Rod, you know, like 
maybe if he really wanted to work with Eddie Murphy, because again, you know, he's, he's a well-rounded actor who's been in a lot of stuff. I could see him being like, oh, we want to find a role for him, but not the lead role. I don't, I don't buy that for a second. I could see if Jordan Peele does a movie about older, right. older people. Yeah. Eddie Murphy, maybe. No, actually, no, 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 no. I can't picture Eddie Murphy in a Jordan <laughs> Peele movie at all. That's just wrong. I could picture him in one if he's, again, the, the playing the comic relief role like Rod. Yeah. I, I, could, I could see that, but not, not main character. But then Arsenio Hall will have to be in it, too. <laughs> okay, I would kind of love that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Coming to America if it was Get Out. <laughs> You're getting a lot of ideas for Raised by Rental. I was going to say, oh, yeah. Freddie and Jason at Brokeback Mountain on Mountain Nightmare on Elm Street. and I feel like that needs to be the slasher camp finale, that they find love in each other's arms. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, oh so, my god, if Freddie if Freddie fisted Jason, that would really hurt. Oh, oh god. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. He would uh take care of any polyps that might be up there. But anyway, all right, let's um, get let's get to the social media. <laughs> oh, what a horrible way to end. But um <laughs> so yeah, for anyone not following us on social media, we are the Boogeyman's Closet on both Facebook and Instagram. Uh Maurice handles our Twitter, and what is that good, sir? At Boogeyman's uh Thank you very much. Uh, we also have a Patreon. It's $3 a month for all of our unedited episodes. Now, we haven't had an exclusive Patreon episode in several months um, just because of the way schedules have been. However, I have been working uh, behind the scenes trying to get several episodes uh, piled up. So coming soon, you're going to get a bunch of different episodes on Patreon that are Patreon exclusive. So we're we're trying to get, get the, uh, the scheduling down, Pat. But you're supposed to get one episode every month. So... Who knows if you haven't signed up yet and you want a shitload of free episodes, maybe in March you're going to have like a, a good handful. So definitely check it out. Uh, the higher tiers will get you art in the mail, um, which the January tier is sending out this this week. Um, I, I finished packing everything up, so that should go out later this week. Um, and the next piece of art will be coming out in March. And then you get high, like the higher tiers will get you stuff like birthday picks and special episodes. So we just had this month uh, Strasburg, Josh Strasburg picked uh, his house which was an amazing episode and um dawn will be picking out her birthday episode coming up in march so definitely check that out if you're interested and uh, we are part of the rad pantheon which is a group of artists and podcasters and musicians basically a bunch of uh rad people doing rad stuff so check out radpantheon.com and rad pantheon on all the socials uh for other podcasts like this and just a lot of cool art uh, our next episode for anyone that wants to watch it before we cover it is episode 171 and we will be watching Antebellum. So it's going to be another tough one. So strap in. <laughs> strap in, strap on. Freddie got off. fingered. The strapper. <laughs> Freddie got fisted. But, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> but, all right, guys, I think we're going to wrap this one up here. So as always, this is Mike saying goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, follow us on Instagram at The Boogeyman's Closet, where you can stay up to date with everything we have planned. Thank you. Thank you.